All right, guys, what's going on? Welcome to the uh, the Stack Strength Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel DeBrock. And today we've got uh, a new guest, Holly Baxter. So, Holly, thank you so much for, for jumping on. Um, is it Holly Baxter Norton or are you still going by Holly Baxter? Sorry. I hate this question. It's so frustrating. So I'm actually Holly Norton based on my okay. marriage certificates. But, yeah. you know, when you kind of get to a, a certain presence on social media, then changing everything really sucks. So yeah. Yeah, so well, that's, that's how I figured, right? Like, I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to clarify that. I'm, I'm Holly Baxter for anybody that needs to know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Awesome. Um, so today we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, finding balance, um, you know, within your fitness goals. And I think this is something really important that, you know, a lot of people sort of gloss over. We have these sort of, like, nebulous kind of statements, like, you know, if you want it, you're going to do it. And then, like... On the other hand, there's a lot of coddling. And so I think this is going to be a really productive conversation. But for people who aren't familiar with you and your background, can you give just a little bit of an introduction? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess I will say uh, on the front end, to make it nice and simple, I am a, um, a fitness uh, nutrition influencer. So uh, everything that I'm involved in, uh, from one-on-one coaching to our, our nutrition coaching app, our programming uh, app, uh, coaching team, it's all uh, supported by evidence. So uh, very much into the science. Um, my background is a BS in uh, food science and nutrition, and then I have a master's in dietetics. So those degrees have really taken me through uh, quite the roller coaster of careers. And uh, it now means that I am spread very thin in lots of different uh, areas of health. So I'm always very excited because I have lots of projects going on. <laughs> yeah. No, that's awesome. So in terms of, I guess we can kind of start off the conversation by, by what got you involved in the fitness space in general? And then I guess sort of how has that evolved and what keeps you engaged in the process uh, right now? Yeah, so I haven't always been like super interested in bodybuilding, which is kind of interesting considering where I'm at now and having spent the last seven years of my life in the sport. Um, I was definitely sporty growing up. I did track athletics, basketball. Um, I think we're in just about every sport that you could be in uh, as a female in Australia. Um, and I think I kind of got to the end of year 12 and was deciding like, hey, what do I want to do with my life? And unfortunately. Uh, in Australia, there aren't really a whole lot of opportunities for women to, you know, have a career in sport. And uh, I guess my idea about, you know, what does success look like? It's, you know, a pretty high standard <laughs> for myself. Uh, so I, I didn't really want to pursue something that wasn't going to be, you know, the potential for a lifelong career. Um, so I decided that the academic route was really the, the best place for me to invest my time. Um, so I, I guess, went through, did all of my uh, degrees and started working and had my own practice. And it wasn't until probably two or three years into having, um, I guess, a clinical practice for dietetics, uh, I started working with a lot more um, professional athletes. Um, and it was on the advice of a client that I was actually coaching at the time to compete who said, hey, you know, you should really get into this sport. Like, you know, this is kind of what you, you know, coach me on and you seem very fit. Have you considered it? And um, I kind of thought about it and it was really difficult at the time to kind of stay present in like team sports and some of the other, I guess, hobbies that I had because I was so busy um, you know, still learning, still, uh, I guess, 
certifying, getting extra credentials, um, and then trying to have my practice that I couldn't do, you know, specific set times. So I was still very active, but I was in the gym always uh, or trying to find some time for exercise. And she actually let me know that the World Championships for IMBA, um, which is, I guess, one of the natural bodybuilding federations in Australia, um, that the World Champs were going to be held in Dubai uh, later that year. And it was one of the countries that I'd always, you know, really wanted to visit. And I thought, what a great excuse for a bit of a holiday after. So I had to go through like the state championships, nationals, you know, win and place top three at both of those events to compete for Australia. And I, I did it. So that kind of kicked me off into the bodybuilding space. And I think during that time, like my passion and desire to learn more about you know, the intricate details and the science behind, um, you know, uh, modifying your body composition really just grew. So that's kind of how I got to where I am today. <laughs> well, kicking off your career by competing at Worlds within your first years, it's not, not, it's not bad. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty, uh, pretty awesome experience, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that's hilarious, actually. So I've got a handful of, um, uh, lifters, so powerlifters, competitive powerlifters, who, um, same thing, like, their, their first year, there's just, like, these little girls, and they're, they're so strong, and they compete, and then they'll be like, I'll be like, oh, yeah, you just broke a national record, and they're like, oh, is that, that's good? I'm like, what? They're like, yeah. girls, and they're like, and they're like, oh, this is cool, like, can I come back next year? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you got second. It's like you're you've been training for like nine months. Like you're a freak, you know. That's so, awesome. Uh huh. Hidden talent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, this is one of the things that I wanted to talk about as well. Is sort of like discussing a little bit about your perspective on how you establish balance, because obviously balance is going to be, you know, very different. It's not like you're, you know, dedicating x amount of time to. Uh, your your family and then an equivocal amount of time to all of your other priorities so there's obviously got to be a little bit more of an extreme since you are kind of uh, an athlete and a competitor at a high level and so how do you establish that balance and then how do you navigate sort of fluctuations in your life and how has that sort of changed or how has your perspective on mm -hmm. establishing and maintaining balance changed over the years man yeah there's so much to unpack there um man do we have more than an hour yeah, exactly, <laughs> I think so straight up, I'm just going to say, um, looking back over the last 10 years of my career, um, where, yes, I have gotten to a top level. I've won multiple world championships. Uh, yes, I have shifted into business and have multiple companies. And now recently, I have uh, two children, stepkids, uh, through my latest or my, my only marriage, rather, not my latest. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm somewhat of a collector. Yeah, I, I collect these marriages going, oh my gosh, I clearly need to have another cup of coffee. So I think um, I, I definitely would call myself an extremist. And I think to get to the top level of anything, whether it is, um, you know, top level ultimate successor in business, whether it is in finances, whether it is in sport, and it can be any sport, I think there is a level or an element of um, I guess, extremism for those individuals. Um, that's really kind of what keeps pushing and driving and motivating these people to, to keep going. But uh, I don't think that there is really ever like a feeling of balance. 
Um, and I think balance is constantly um, fluxing. I think that it is like triaging your priorities. It is deciding and making very intentional decisions about when am I going to, you know, make X a priority and when am I going to make this other thing a priority. And for the long, for the longest time, in fact, I think when I was kind of single, young in my early 20s, um, I didn't have as many responsibilities. It was just me. Um, you know, I wasn't, uh, you know, dead set on building a huge, you know, um, business model. I wasn't scaling companies. I was really just kind of getting my feet wet and trying different things that I enjoyed. And um, I had the opportunity to be a little bit, um, I don't want to say selfish, I'll say selfless in that I wanted, I invested a lot of time in myself. I wanted to discover what I was truly passionate about, what I, you know, where did I thrive the most? And I think that because I was so invested in education and I was so invested in my bodybuilding, um, it did, it did have a, a number of uh, consequences. I don't think any decision, especially at that elite level, um, comes without, you know, sacrifice of some sort. And the sacrifices that I personally experienced were um, potentially not having, you know, a strong social network, um, you know, not many supports because I was always so uh, busy and so on the move and so focused that it didn't enable me to develop the connections that I think I needed, you know, um, growing up. Um, it took me away from family. You know, I moved um, to another state. I didn't have those close, um, you know, family members around to support me. And that just in itself was a, a really difficult thing. I didn't realize it at the time, but I think as you get older um, and you, you know, decide, hey, I'm, I'm ready to establish myself and settle down, then you, you do put yourself in a position where you can be a little bit lonely. Uh, and feel like, you know, what else, but what else? What's missing from my life? So I think that it also um, put me in a place where um, I was forced to, let me think about how best to say this, forced to uh, not get outside my comfort zone. So because it was just me, I was on my own, um, you know, kind of managing maybe a housemate here or there, it put me in a position where I probably learned a lot of bad habits and you don't get pulled up on these things. And I would say that, you know, over time, the behaviours that I'd kind of gotten into um, were actually causing huge negatives in my life or little did I know that they would. So I think I never really got uncomfortable and it really made it hard as I developed my career and decided, hey, you know what, I am ready to switch over and start applying this to um, my family and I'm, I'm ready to apply this to scaling my businesses. I, I didn't know how to adapt outside of the four walls that I had built and created for myself. Um, I really struggled. It gave me anxiety. I was stressed. Um, you know, I, I felt really uncomfortable all the time when I started to have to change uh, and grow and develop myself outside of what I knew. So, yeah, I think the the idea of achieving balance <laughs> is not really something that I think I've ever necessarily had. But what I have found is that over the years, um, as I have grown and developed and matured and uh, I guess decided what is a good thing for me, 
Um, I've had to do a lot of work on self-development, um, let go of certain, um, you know, character flaws, like perfectionism is a really good example, people-pleasing, you know, high achiever. There is a lot of, whilst like they're great characters, they can also be such an impedance on your life in other areas. And um, I think they can tend to take away any element of balance. <laughs> so I don't know whether I've given you a really good answer here, but I'd say it's like a pendulum. You have to be able to pivot and shift and be flexible. And it's hard if you've only ever done one thing. Like I've got lots of friends that have been exceptional athletes, like top end pro basketballers, pro track athletes, pro baseball, football, you name it. And when they do finally retire, they have a really hard time adapting or adjusting back to a normal life where they do need a little bit more balance. So um, it requires a lot of, uh, I guess, inner dialogue, lots of reflection, really working on self-awareness <laughs> to be able to manage all the things that are kind of going on in life. Yeah, no, that definitely makes sense. And <clears throat> I mean, I think you brought up some really great points about the pendulum being able to adapt because I've definitely dealt with that quite a bit um, with, I mean, my, in my own experience, but also with a lot of my athletes. And so, you know, you'll, you'll, especially if you do have someone who's really, really type A, just dialed in, mm -hmm. you know, and they're used to just crushing it all the time. And then they have a kid. And now all of a sudden their schedule's thrown off, you know, mm -hmm. and now they're panicking and it, it'll literally take me sitting down with them and having a conversation being like, Hey, instead of training five days a week, why don't we just train four, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, can I do that? You know? Mm -hmm. And like, obviously they're aware they can do that. Cause a lot of my, a lot of my athletes are also coaches. Right. And so mm -hmm. it's not like they're unaware of that, but you just sort of get attached exactly like you said, with this sort of identity. And it's like, that's all you know how to do. And so if there is no, ability to sort of adapt or if that if that constant like you know hey we need to check in once a week or whatever if that's not sort of set and internalized for yourself then mm -hmm. it's very very difficult to adapt to to i guess upcoming problems and, and things that emerge and mm -hmm. that you sort of leave that it ends up just being a lot more problematic and problems start mounting and then it just kind of ends up being this house of cards that collapses on you one day and it's just like oh okay now it's going to take three months to dig out of this thing you know mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. So one of the things that I, I guess I, I also wanted your perspective on was in terms of being a little bit more type A, being kind of a perfectionist, you know, obviously you had to, you had to go through a lot of those difficulties in order to really understand what was actually important to you. Because, you know, from my perspective, it's really easy to, to look at someone and be like, oh, they're rich. That's why they're happy. Oh, they're super fit. Oh, they're super strong. That's why they're confident or this or that. But then once you actually get there, you're like, oh, okay. And you have a much, much different perspective on the situation. Mm -hmm. And then actually being able to pivot and taking some of those things and being able to apply them elsewhere. So how do you go through that process or how did you go through that process personally of being like, hey, I've got all these really great skills that got me to a high level in this one area, mm -hmm. but I feel like a fish out of water elsewhere. How can I kind of translate them into these other areas of my life? Yeah, um, well, just for the record, I definitely learned the hard way. <laughs> uh, it was not an easy an easy journey. I, I think um, you, can, you can look at people, and I, I've got my mentors that I aspire to be like and that, you know, I want to be more like. And uh, 
I think people have this general perception that, you know, oh, wow, it must come easy to them. And I just want to say it's so not like that. Um, I think some people are very proactive and I'd say that I wasn't that for my early um, 20s. I'm 33 now, so it's been a little while. Um, But I quickly learned after spending some time with mentors, with uh, advisors, with uh, therapists for various different things in my life, uh, both personally and in business, um, that people that succeed aren't necessarily dealing with less. Um, they are just better at uh, better equipped to handle the things that are thrown at them. So I uh, struggled probably like every other person in my early 20s and failed to take uh, personal accountability, I think, for many of the, the struggles that I was having, struggles in personal life, struggles in business, uh, struggles financially, Um, And it wasn't until I started kind of working on my foundation that things started to get better. And uh, that usually requires, um, you know, taking on, um, I guess, that self-responsibility. And rather than looking for, um, you know, people to blame or excuses, you have to start looking inwards. And uh, I guess... I went and got a mentor. I, you know, looked at the people that I really wanted to be like when I was 25. Uh, I had business coaching um, and then personal therapy. I avoided that for like the plague for many years because of, I guess, this sense of shame and, you know, like it was so embarrassing. And this is at this time, like, you've got to think about, you know, where you are in your career. Like I was mid twenties, I've got, you know, two degrees, I have a company, um, you know, I've been very successful in sport at this point. And you have this idea that, well, I should be further along in my life. You know, why, do, why does this still feel like it's so difficult and how embarrassing at this age, I shouldn't have to go to somebody and ask for help. And I think, again, referring back to some of my own personal um character traits which was um heavily perfectionist mindset um perfectionism in general for everything that i did i wanted it to be perfect to excel to be you know a high achiever i don't do things if i'm not going to put it in put in 100 percent effort and i just didn't want to you know have to deal with the the feeling of embarrassment um instead i kind of like pushed it down and swallowed it and threw it away and you know, it was, that was the one thing that I really had to open my eyes to in order to improve and for things to change. So uh, as soon as I started like working with a therapist to manage stress, to manage anxiety, um, to even realize this is what this feeling was, I used to call it like, man, I have a really hard time. Um, If I've got a difficult task, I just procrastinate. That's what I thought it was. And, you know, um, digging a little bit deeper and having some more conversations around how I was feeling, you know, when I had a lot of stuff going on and, you know, okay, what was the thing that was, um, that was happening prior to that feeling? What happened during this, this moment that you're struggling with? And through talking it out with an expert, um, we were able to identify like social anxiety, like general extreme anxiety, panic attacks. Like these are all things that I was like, I don't have that. What are you talking about? Like I'm this, you know, high achiever. I don't have those problems. So, you know, then I had to start working and um, making some, I guess, plans and strategies to improve that. Um, and I still do. 
it's not like something that you go and have a couple of sessions with and you're cured. I, I am someone that's very open and transparent with my own social media and audience and anyone in my life who knows me. Um, I still have a therapist that I work with every week. And some weeks it's all about my personal life. Other weeks it's all about managing business relationships. Other weeks it's about, you know, how do I manage this feeling that I'm having with these clients? Um, I feel conflicted about this. You know, I, I my views are changing. How do I adapt, you know, given my whole business model is about this? You know, it's, it's about having a soundboard and somebody to give you tools to learn how to cope with, all the things that you know life throws at us and it only gets harder the older we get the more responsibilities kids family bigger business more company you know more more staff it does not get easier um you just have to be able to be flexible and adapt to those changes yeah and i think the big thing that i'm getting from a lot of the stuff that you're saying is there's a really high degree of personal responsibility and you said something in the beginning um you know there's this perception of oh it's really easy for for me on social media, you know, or for other people. And it's, it's really easy to kind of look at someone and, and assume that they just got there for whatever reasons, right? Mm -hmm. And the reality is in the vast majority of cases, although obviously there's exceptions, in the vast majority of cases, those people are willing to accept a substantial, substantially more responsibility and, mm -hmm. and difficulty and, and burden and all of these things in order to get there. Because, I mean, like, you know, if you don't take responsibility for your house, it's going to become dirty and it's just not going to be well kept. If you don't take responsibility for your body, it's going to break down. You're going to have pains and injuries and aches and, you know, you're going to have illnesses. Mm -hmm. your finance, the same things. And so it's like the burden of doing all of those things and then doing all of those things really well, like, man, that's, that's tough. That's a lot of work. And, and so I definitely understand where you're coming from. And I think a lot of people kind of feel the same way. Mm -hmm. A bit of a, a disconnect between the realization that, you know, like, oh, this is just something I feel because I'm here. But if I was rich, then mm -hmm. I'd, I'd feel different. It's like, nah, if you were rich, you'd feel the exact same way. Your problems would just be a lot bigger. Instead of, you know, freaking out over, like, I don't know, how to make rent this month, you'd be freaking out over how to expand your business by X amount this year or whatever. Yeah, I think <laughs> it's so interesting. Like, I mean, I have been and lived at every spectrum of, I guess, financial wealth. I've been somebody that was struggling to make payment on credit cards, you know, when I was in my late teens to not having any credit cards, but then, you know, feeling stressed out of my mind because I couldn't improve and grow at the speed that I wanted to. Um, to a place where, you know, we've been able to, you know, scale our companies and build and develop new companies and, you know, live in our dream home and have, you know, have the things that make life more convenient. And I will say um, the, the more, I guess, financially wealthy a person becomes, the stress is relative to the individual. And... I think one of the hardest things is that as you move up in um, wealth and success, you have to start learning how to delegate more. And I think for me, that was one of the hardest things I uh, had to overcome from a business standpoint was giving up control. And again, thinking back to some of those uh, characteristics that kind of closely align with like perfectionists and high achievers, um, it's usually they feel comfortable and confident um, when they are in charge, when they're driving the ship and having to be able to say, hey, you know what, I actually trust you to do this job 
and to do it as well as me or maybe be okay with it not being done as well as you might do it but know that it will get done um, and then it's up to you to be the person that does you know the interview process and asks the right questions and you know makes those good hires and have hard conversations if things aren't working and um, yeah I think the delegating part um, just increases the amount of communication that you have to do on a day-to-day -day basis. So, you know, I think about the number of people that I'm communicating with in a single day. Now we have, I guess, a nanny, a personal assistant, an executive assistant, uh, a team manager. We have several business advisors, seven business partners in total, and then all the staff that go beyond that. We've got kids, school teachers. It's like insane. And you're, so, I would assume you're still probably really, really, really freaking busy on top of all of that. Right, and then you still have right. your personal goals. Like, I st I've got a bodybuilding show in less than two weeks. I'm getting on stage. So it's like, ah. So you just have to be a good communicator. I think um, that's one of the skills that I grew up not having. I think my childhood looked like, um, I guess, a father who was a very hard worker but a, a non-communicator. Didn't speak to us, um, you know, did not uh, give, like, the, the normal kind of fatherly, you know, positive influence. Um, so, you know, and then you see how your uh, parents communicate. And I didn't really see them communicate. It was usually arguing uh, and that's kind of what I thought was the normal um, or there was no communication at all. So I think um, like learning to communicate effectively um, with lots of different personality types and uh, knowing how to set boundaries, learning how to say no um, and instead of avoid difficult situations um, and instead of avoidant coping, like learn how to, you know, active cope. Uh, and there's a whole, you know, uh, workbook and tasks um, that you can do to learn how to improve those types of um, struggles, which I think, you know, the busy you are, um, you know, that's the type of thing that you have to be really good at. So, yeah, communication style is very, very important. Mm -hmm. So I remember maybe like about a year ago, I was uh, I was talking to a friend of mine and you know, I, I was just so busy because I, I work quite a lot. Mm -hmm. I love what I do. So it's kind of like it's simultaneously a creative outlet, but also my job. Mm -hmm. So that sometimes gets a little difficult to balance because, you know, <laughs> well, I'm sure you know. But uh, <laughs> and and I was talking to my friend. And I was like, man, I'm just really running up into some, some serious time constraints. And he was like, oh, what's going on? And he's like, well, what's taking up all your time? And I was like, man, this, this, this. And he's like, do you enjoy those things? And I was like. No, he's like, then just stop doing them. He's like, is that going to affect your bottom line? And I was like, no. So a, a great example was on this podcast, I used to do timestamps, right? And I would have to go back and watch the whole, th not watch the whole thing, but I would like have to skip through all of it and find the exact points where I'd be asking these questions, you know? Mm -hmm. And that took me about an hour. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I hated doing it. I absolutely hated doing it. And he was just like, has anyone asked you to do that? And I was like, well, no, I just, every time I do something, I like to be very thorough with it. And I'm like, this is what the kind of content that I wished I had, you know, so it's easy to navigate and blah, blah, blah. He's like, okay, well, do you think people complain? And I was like, maybe a couple. And so he's like, then stop doing it. So I stopped doing it. And then I just started kind of looking at all these other things that I was doing that didn't really need to be done. And I just started hacking it. And since then I have had two people on my YouTube channel be like, hey, you should do timestamps. But I've just explained to them, I was like, hey, you know what? I was doing that, but it was an extreme 
consuming. And because this is free, I really have to be, you know, considerate about how I dedicate my time. And they're like, oh, that kind of sucks. But it's like, so what? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I'm able to now continue doing the podcast. I'm able to do all of the other stuff. And I think those conversations are really important. And, and so, like, just because you were talking about kind of delegating and, and really prioritizing things. Mm-hmm. And I guess this kind of leads me into uh, another question. Um, in terms of, like, pursuing goals, like, what are some of the common distortions that people have regarding um, goal pursuit, especially that you hear from clients, and what sort of advice would you have for, for them? So are you referring to goals uh, as in like physique uh, improvement, like realistic um, body body goals? Or are we talking like business? Um, we could do it. We could do everything. I guess we'll kind of couch it in fitness and then just feel free to go and, and use whatever sort of analogies or other examples we feel are pertinent. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. I can probably um, just draw upon um, clients that I work with. Um, so many people um, have this idea that they, you know, their their dream or their ideal physique um, is only going to take them, you know, a very short amount of time. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and and look, I, I laugh as I say this, but it's also about you know my job and the reason that I do what I do is because I am passionate about it, and I'm sure you are too. So I try to educate people, and I think once people develop that, um, you know, basic level nutrition training um, background it kind of opens their eyes a little bit more to, you know, the realism of what they're wanting to achieve. So, you know, I've had plenty of people send me, you know, the, their picture of their ideal. Some clients that I've started working with um, have said, oh, you know, I'd love to look like you. And I'm like, oh, that's, you know, super flattering. And then, you know, they've, they've said, oh, well, can we do a 12-week um, program working together? And I had to, I've kind of had to say, well, I love your enthusiasm. I'm very flattered. But, so I started training and doing this back in, you know, 2013 I was lifting and I didn't get on stage until 2015 um, and then to where I am now, that's taken me four or five, you know, cycles of reverse dieting, um, maintaining my weight, then cutting, then reversing or building, you know, it's a, it's a year-long, multiple-year-long process. So. I think um, kind of breaking it down for people. And I love forecasting. Um, we have a really cool, uh, I guess, sheets that we use with our um, BioLane coaches that shows a client, here's week one, and then, you know, after 24 weeks, if we do or implement, um, you know, this fat loss program with this many diet breaks and we're achieving a weekly rate of weight loss of one pound, you know, per week, um, here's what the end goal would look like. And then I can forecast another 12 months for them and say, hey, let's say we do this many months of building. Here's based on what the research says, you can acquire X amount of weight um, in, you know, fat-free mass over an eight-week period. This is what you're likely to accomplish. So here's your reality for you. And just to kind of put things in perspective. And I think that that really helps. It's like giving them pe- giving people facts. And then kind of proof, your proof is in the pudding. You know, you've got examples to show. Um, and then having that kind of guided timeline kind of helps them stay com- um, committed, at least with breaking it down into individual blocks where it's like, okay, I know exactly what to expect for 12 weeks. Then I know what the next 12 weeks is going to look like. I can plan my holidays. I can plan, you know, planning, I think, gives people ease of mind. So, yeah, I'd say education first and foremost and then uh, forecasting is super helpful 
um, to put those goals in perspective. Mm-hmm. And how, how often are you having conversations with your clients? Because I find that even, <clears throat> you know, you'll have a conversation with them and then they're going great for a little bit. And then all of a sudden they start taking a, a you know, left turn and you're like, whoa, you remember when we had that conversation? They're like, what? I didn't know that. And you're like, yeah, it's recorded in your check-in right here. It's documented, you know, so it's like, it's, these are like multiple conversations you have to have on an ongoing basis because a lot of this stuff is ingrained. And so how do you find um, that sort of process occurs? Like, do you have, um, I, I mean, I would imagine you have, you know, touch points with your clients where you're kind of communicating them either on a weekly, bi-weekly, monthly basis, something like that. So w- what does that look like? Yeah, absolutely. I think first and foremost, I always I put, myself, put myself in their shoes. I think back to, okay, when I was in their position, however many years ago that was, so I have to have baseline appreciation and understanding of where they're coming from. Uh, and that always makes the conversation go a little bit easier. Um, and then at the end of the day, you are the expert. Like they're coming to me, they're coming to you uh, as a coach to get that advice and to help them stay accountable. So I think I can talk to this from the perspective of being in clinical as a dietitian. And so in the hospital setting, you are, you know, referred patients, you might get one visit with them and it's 30 minutes. And then, you know, their follow-up appointment isn't for another six weeks. Um, and what I found was that a lot of folks don't show up to their follow-ups and they, or they just really fall off the, the wagon between that, you know, six-week time frame. Um, so one of the things I really didn't enjoy about clinical was the infrequency of conversations and connection um, and just the lack of people's, um, I guess, efforts. They weren't really that committed. So after stepping out um, for, I guess, private practice, and I no longer use, um, or we don't as a company go through the healthcare system. It is all out of pocket. Like this is people that really do want to make an effort, that are committed to changing their lives. They're not um, necessarily focused on, um, you know, getting it uh, compensated or, um, you know, I, I think they are really there for a reason. Um, and that's one of the reasons I think when I first started, I never really wanted to discount my prices. I didn't want to do things for free because I've been in a position myself where if you're given something for free, you don't really have the same appreciation or value for it. So I've always had the idea that if somebody is willing to and committed to change, that they are prepared to, you know, there's a cost, there's a sacrifice, there's an expense with that. So um, from outside of the pricing stuff, I think the regular communication that we now have uh, integrated into our coaching system, which is weekly, um, and it's all done via video, so we can kind of communicate and connect with our clients anywhere in the world, um, but we're getting that face-to-face time. Um, it, It helps, I guess, with that accountability, and I think also having all of the data, like there is so many things that we collect for, from our clients um, to kind of point out, you know, here's this, here's that, um, and to just redirect people when they feel or seem to be going off course. Um, I've got a couple of clients that uh, I still work with today who I've had for probably a couple of years now, um, and I feel like they actually have a lot of knowledge, although they probably don't say that they they feel like that, but when you hear them then discussing with somebody else, Wow, you've actually learned quite a bit. Um, but you'll have people all the time kind of change goals. Hey. Hey? 
I said, that's always such a huge compliment. Like when you can sort of like, when you, when you can tell like which lifters are coached by X person because of their like technical precision or when you can tell like, you yeah. know, by the way people are communicating, you're like, oh, are you coached by so-and-so? They're like, mm-hmm. yeah. And you're like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think, um, you know, they, at the end of the day, the clients are there for, um, you know, the expert to keep them accountable. So I have had so many conversations where I've had to say to somebody, look, I really understand. Um, it seems to me like your priorities are based on what I'm hearing from you is that you want to maintain a lean physique, but I'm also hearing that you want to be able to do, uh, I guess, more uh, socializing and have the flexibility to eat out several days a week. You'd like to have the flexibility to do different sports, Taekwondo, for instance, or do more running. Um, and then I hear that you uh, also want to improve your glute size and build your shoulders. So I kind of have to, you have to identify all of those like conflicting goals and explain, you know, hey, if you want to do this, you can. But the reality of this situation is that that thing that you want to do over here, all that running and, you know, reducing your resistance training minutes to do more taekwondo, or if you want to go out and not track and use a food scale, you know, there are all these variables that are changing and you're not going to be able to maintain, you know, this level of leanness. Or if you want to build your glutes and your shoulders, there is going to be a point where you have to be okay with adding a little bit of body fat. You can recomp Um, until the cows come home and it's going to take you a heck of a lot longer so it's just pointing out the facts being real um, again really explaining in depth where conflicts are you know showing up and you know what that would look like so yeah I, I really like to kind of paint the picture here's what you're asking for but here's how that's not going to work for whatever the goal might be so yeah no, I definitely think that's a really important aspect as well. And I also think that the video communication is a really, really critical piece. Mm-hmm. Um, people need to see your face. You know, they need to know that you're like, so that's something that I do as well. Like I'll go over the check-in form, whatever, but I'm recording myself going over it, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, do I need to do that? No. But for them, it's like now they actually see you. I'm not sure if you do like an actual call or if you do that or whatever, but it's like either way, they're actually seeing you. They're talking to you. They feel like there's a sense of relatedness. So that it, and, and the education piece gives them that feeling of competency and then it builds their self-efficacy. And so there's all these things kind of collectively coming together. Hmm. And that is definitely one of the most important things of a, of a coach. Like I always tell people, because so I don't I don't write programs for people. Um, hmm. If someone comes and like, hey, I just want a program. I'm like, no, nope, not your guy. Sorry. You know, uh, because it's like, that's not coaching, mm-hmm. you know, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's just like, you're going to waste a lot of money when you could just go get a free program off, off of the mm-hmm. internet. And I, I think a lot of the times people don't necessarily understand the difference between coaching and like, mm-hmm. they're sort of like the commonly held perspective of what a coach or PT or whatever actually mm-hmm. does. You know, it's like, oh, they count reps. They teach you a good form and help <laughs> yourself and such. Yeah. That's like about 7% of what you're doing. You know what I mean? I agree. That's, it's funny. Yeah. I actually have had that conversation many times about, um, you know, dietitians. So I guess the role of a dietitian, for instance, most people just go, oh, yeah, weight loss. Um, but, you know, we have uh, such a diverse breadth of expertise. It's like 
we work in you know renal and hepatic wards with you know very sick um, patients in the clinical setting we have the oncology wards we work with cardiothoracic you know gastroenterology there's so many different facets and I think to your point it's um it just comes back to education I always say like knowledge is power so um yeah I think one of the things that I mean I remember struggling with when I used to do like I was doing PT as well so I do kind of half my day uh, in the gym setting with clients uh, and then I would move into the, the practice where I'm kind of sit down you know face to face um but it really comes down to like hey I could I could write a program for you um but you know, here's why it's not the like this is not optimal, and here's why. If you do X, Y, Z, this would be better. But so you've just got to make people aware, and then the decisions on them, right? Hmm. So you kind of have explained their um, their options, and they can make an informed choice. Yeah, and so much of that is is really just the soft skills of coaching. Like <clears throat> I've always found that um, probably one of my biggest strengths as a coach is just communication, right? Mm -hmm. um, like I'm a writer, I, I'm in education. That's predominantly what I do for work. Mm -hmm. So I have to be very clear at communicating. And, and I've looked at other coaches where I'm like, man, yeah, like I look up to this person and I mean, their level versus my level is just such a huge gap, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but I think there's a lot that you can do just by being exactly like you were saying, you know, educating your clients and being good, a good communicator. Because mm -hmm. you can get better buy-in. So, you know, let's say person or coach X is implementing five different strategies and they're they're all like really, really highly optimized. Whereas you're only implementing two, but the amount that you're able to get out of them is so much higher because you have that relationship, you have that communication, they really are understanding it, they're really taking ownership, you mm -hmm. know, and and yeah, so I mean I think that's such a critical component. And the side of coaching that I think people don't really realize is that it basically is mentorship, you know, mm -hmm. you're, you're learning, you're gaining all of this wisdom, this understanding. And I mean, there's a lot of times where I'll hear people say like, Oh, I already know that. And it's like, no, you don't know that or else you'd be doing it. You mm -hmm. know, you just have a conceptual understanding of it. And there's a big difference between that versus like lived experience. And so, <clears throat> um, how do you go through that, uh, that process, I guess, of iterating a, a client's, um, iterating a client's program, based on some of the changes that are actually happening? Like what kind of conversation are you having with them around that? Um, goodness, I, I feel like for the most part, um, we have such a thorough process um, with our coaching team that it's hard to miss parts. So mm -hmm. um, right down from like the onboarding system, we actually, um, I guess, have a couple of platforms that we use so clients will... Uh, receive a login to a portal, uh, they get access to all their work documents, um, they have access to all of their invoicing and past forms that they've completed and it's like a, a one-stop shop, it's a hub. And then um, I guess there is so much communication in that initial video so we really try to go out of our way to uh, explain, you know, here's what your, um, you know, program is going to kind of look like based on the information and the feedback that I've got from you. But I think we also really make a point to discuss the likeliness of interruption and stresses and potential things that are going to pop up that conflict with their goals. Um, you know, managing somebody's expectations around fat loss if they have uh, you know, a history of dieting, uh, you know, under eating, excessive exercise. 
um, you know, we can say, hey, look, on paper, this is what it looks like. But the reality is we can't um, forecast or predict exactly how your metabolism and as an individual is going to respond to the, you know, what the math of the average person might say. So mm -hmm. I think, you know, setting clear expectations um, and then continuing to, you know, reassess reevaluate uh, and i've also gotten to the point personally where the people that i work with um i'm primarily working with them to learn uh, i guess to be realistic to slow down um to stop rushing the process um you know of fat loss and or muscle building um to understand that this stuff just takes time um and you know especially for the high-end like very um elite people that we tend to work with um their lifestyles are incredibly busy um so it's helping them like manage their expectations and be able to pivot when they need to pivot and it's constant like assessment reevaluate assessment reevaluate change goals altogether or put a pause on this goal and we might need to divot back this way because you've got a, a big you know stage performance and you need to shrink and it's a last minute thing so yeah, I, I don't know whether I've interpreted your question correctly, but I would say that there's just constant um, communication and, um, you know, just setting clear expectations and not being afraid to have the hard conversations. I think people often need that. And I've definitely grown the skills uh, of saying what needs to be said in a positive yet firm <laughs> fashion. <laughs> yeah, no, that I completely agree. And so you brought something up actually that I think is also really important is there are probably going to be times for most people where you do have to sort of regress, but it's an intentional regression mm -hmm. based on changing life circumstances. Yeah. So when you're approaching those conversations, that's obviously going to be something that's really difficult for some people to, to accept because it's like, man, I've been working so hard. Now you're asking me to intentionally regress. Like that's a real mind fuck for a lot of people. Yes. You know? yes. Like even me right now, so I'm going through a, a diet, right? Because I, I had a head injury a little while ago, and basically I can't lift super heavy for the time being. And so um, I'm doing like some bodybuilding, and I'm losing weight. I'm, I weigh 260 right now. I haven't weighed 260 in like six years. This is the lightest I've been, and I'll probably have to get to like 240. And on the one hand, I'm like, oh, this is really cool. Like I'm getting quite a bit leaner. But then at the same time, I'm like, I, all my clothes are super baggy. Like, <laughs> moo moo now when i just put on a normal t-shirt so it's, it's, it's a little bit of a battle i mean you know and so so how do you navigate that conversation and and how do you sort of like deprioritize one thing while kind of shifting the focus to something else uh for that time so they still have something to kind of work towards during those kind of difficult or sort of tumultuous periods yeah for sure um gosh i would be lying if i didn't say every single person i've ever worked with has had at least one or two uh oh my god moment what's, what's going on <laughs> uh during their coaching phase um look life happens and i think you know i'm i'm a, very much a realist and you know from the get-go as soon as i'm working with a client like the in addition to their physical goal and their health goal, whether it's muscle building or fat loss um, or metabolic restoration, you name it, um, I really try to be um, as conscious of the mindset as I am the, you know, the inter, inter, uh, sorry, the implementation of their nutrition um, program and training. So I would say I probably spend 50% 50, 50 of the time talking to my clients um, around um, psychology 
So it is identifying, um, you know, limiting beliefs, identifying um, potential stresses, identifying, um, you know, some emotional distress for that individual. And I somehow strip it out of them and then we find like solutions for that. I'm very solution focused. Um, you know, you revent and you share a problem with me. Um, I, one, will empathize if it's something that's challenging, but then two, it's okay. Um, yes, this is difficult for whatever it is, um, but we need to find a solution rather than just complain about it because complaining uh, will lead us to nowhere um, and it's time wasted. So, yeah, I'm, I really do spend a good amount of time working on mindset, um, you know, shifting people towards that positive, um, you know, mindset, mind state, uh, as opposed to being, you know, the negative half gla uh, the glass is half empty type person um, and that really tends to make that whole experience um, a little bit easier um, because most of the time you just there's nothing you can do about it you can control the variables you can control um, and the ones that you can't you just got to let it go and I think the people that end up struggling the most and I have been that person in my physique goals and bodybuilding I've had to pull out of show before um, like devastating. It's like, oh my God, I've done 18 weeks of work. What the heck? And I have to just give it all away. Like there are going to be points in your life, whether it's in your sport, whether it's in your business, relationships, friendships, um, that things aren't going to go the way that you planned for them to go. Um, but the quicker you are at being able to manage those emotions, um, to cope with them and to let go or at least be at peace with them or be neutral, like have a neutral response to something that's not great, um, the easier it is going to be for you. Um, my Lane always says, my husband, he always says to me, like, gee, you, you are probably more on the non-empathetic side. And I think I've just had to say to him, no, no, don't mistake my silence or my, you know, not spending a lot of time, um, you know, neg being negative about this thing for not being someone that is caring or that it doesn't feel a certain way to me. I'm just like analyzing, assessing myself, deciding what can and cannot be done. And then I try my best to not waste any time on things that are out of my control. And for me, that has been like the one most important thing um, that has helped, you know, grow as an individual. And it has shown in every aspect of my life, like friendships, business, um, financial, um, so, yeah, that's kind of how I, I navigate it. It's very much a, a, a nutrition coaching, um, you know, program one-on-one, -on -one, but it's also very, um, you know, psychology involved or psychology heavy. Yeah, that's absolutely an incredibly important skill. And I mean, I think, you know, as you start seeing your clients kind of coming up with these solutions or starting to, I don't want to say starting to sound like you, but <laughs> you know what I mean? But sort of like, their response is you're like, Hey, you're getting it. Like, that's mm -hmm. awesome. You know, it's, it's such a huge win mm -hmm. is that that's more of like an internalized sort of behavioral value, value structure than it is just like a, you know, Hey, I, I lost a pound and a half this week or whatever it might be. Right. So I, I think that's more of a long-term win for sure. So that, that's awesome. Um, so I want to be, uh, I want to be considerate of your time because we are kind of coming to the, the hour mark. Mm -hmm. Um, do you have any sort of like closing remarks or anything that you think would be pertinent to share to, to individuals to kind of establish balance and have a little bit more of a, a balanced and sort of adaptive approach on their, their, you know, fitness journey or whatever it is they're on? 
Yeah, I guess um, the only thing that I haven't really, well, actually there's lots of things I haven't talked about, but let's stick to the point. Um, I think uh, avoid playing the comparison game. Um, it's so easy to get uh, totally sucked into all the wrong things. Um, I've made that mistake. Um, I am very aware of these mistakes and I still do them today, but I'm very quick to catch myself and, you know, stop that type of behavior. And I think um, for most people that are coming and seeking, you know, nutrition coaching or training programming, whatever the case, um, there's obviously a, there's usually a big goal in mind. And I think that that's fantastic. But um, one of the things that all of us tend to do at times is really over-focus on, you know, where somebody else is or why can't I be at that place or look at their calories or, you know, what about their training? Is that better than what I'm doing? And I would say, like, try to really focus on yourself. Stop looking around, um, you know, again, focus on the things that you can control um, and let go of the things that you cannot um, and, you know, I think upping or upskilling your nutrition education by hiring an evidence-based coach, um, somebody that, you know, takes the time, that nurtures that relationship, that has that, um, you know, intimate connection, you know, how you describe Daniel, you know, you're doing video consults, like that is such an important piece, I think, of developing, you know, a good relationship. And that is when, you know, you really start to see uh, clients flourish and, you know, have have awesome outcomes. It is the coaches or people that aren't doing their due diligence in, you know, where where is their knowledge stemming from? What's this coming from? Is it personal experience? Did they just look good, but they've got no idea how they look that good? You know, I think it's very easy to jump to the next, um, you know, Miss Olympia or go and, you know, start working with this bodybuilding coach. And, you know, they're totally a bro. They don't have any background um, and or they're not aware of certain things that influence um, someone's ability to make progress. So uh, do due diligence on, um, you know, your coaching um, coaches where, where they're getting their information from um, and be open to learn and be open to change. Maybe you're... Um, you know, very biased towards a particular style of diet. You know, I've had clients that are like, I am definitely a keto. Like, there's no way. I don't need carbs. I feel so much better. And I'm like, hmm, really? Okay. Let's just test that. <laughs> so, you know, I think um, be open to learn. Um, drop drop the guard. Take down those biases. Um, and I think, you know, if you can do all those things and you are following science, you will get results. Um so, yeah, I think that's probably where I would finish. <laughs> awesome. No, I think that's fantastic advice. It's it's really practical and it's actionable. So where can people find you, Holly? Absolutely. Um, I think everything is available on my Instagram page, which is just Holly T. Baxter. Uh, we've got links to our nutrition coaching app, apps, all the, all the things, all the books, all the education. <laughs> it's all there. Awesome. So I'm going to put that up in the show notes, guys. Definitely make sure you go give her a follow. She puts out tons of great content on a regular basis. And as she just mentioned, they're doing a lot of really cool stuff behind the scenes as well. So Holly, thank you so much for, for jumping on the call. It's been, uh, it's been really, really awesome having you here. Thank you. I appreciate the time.